Thank you for joining us today. My name is Brad Miller, and this is the Chronically Human Podcast, where we have discussions aimed at creating a better world with more individual freedom and less unnecessary suffering. Today, we are joined by Philip Zweig. He is a former financial journalist who is now the executive director of Physicians Against Drug Shortages. We discuss how massive group purchasing organizations cause drug shortages, increase the cost of health care for us all, and according to Phil, receive kickbacks, which in any other industry would be considered criminal. He advocates for the immediate repeal of the 1987 Medicare anti-kickback safe harbor provision, which in his opinion will lower health care costs increase innovation, and allow the free market to work in the healthcare industry. Before speaking with Phil, I had no idea about these four massive corporations that controlled 90% of what hospitals buy and how much control they have over our healthcare choices. I myself exercise my health freedom by taking Kratom, and the only Kratom I trust comes from naturalorganics.com. That's naturalorganics, spelled O-R-G, a-N-I-X dot com. You can use the promo code chronicallyhuman20 at checkout to get 20% off your next order. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Thank you, Phil, for being on the show today. I well, appreciate your inviting me. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, definitely. I really enjoy your work, especially from my point of view. I was in banking for 13 years, and I also have been chronically ill uh, since age of 11. And so I've seen the healthcare system from the outside and as a patient. And so what I wanted to, to get you on to talk about is group purchasing organizations, PBMs, and why drug costs are skyrocketing right now and what the true pricing mechanism, why that's not uh, opaque or why it is opaque in the market and what we can do about that. I wasn't even aware of group purchasing organizations until I really started reading up on on your work. How did you get started on it and why are these GPOs so integral to why drug costs are the way they are? Okay, well, it goes back a ways. Uh, my background is uh, covering banking and finance. I was with the uh, American Banker, Wall Street Journal, Business Week, Bloomberg, um, covering banking for most of those. Uh, most of the time, written a couple of books for the crown imprint of Random House on um, Banks' uh, biography on uh, former chairman of uh, Citibank and uh, a book called Belly Up, the Collapse of the Penn Square Bank on a bank scandal in Oklahoma back in the uh, 80s. So uh, I come at this as a markets person and uh, in part. Um, I got interested in this whole thing, frankly, uh, just by accident back in 1997 when I was in Oklahoma City to give a speech on the uh, 15th anniversary of the collapse of the Penn Square Bank, which created a massive disruption and failures in banks around the country and gave rise to the too-big-to-fail doctrine, which uh, has governed the bailouts of uh, institutions in the, in the 2008 financial crisis. And I'm sitting down with a friend of mine who uh, was a, a former United States attorney who prosecuted one of the cases, and we're just talking over breakfast and uh, poking around for a story for Business Week, and uh, starts telling me about uh, 
a client of his who developed a revolutionary retractable needle that prevents needle stick accidents and got NIH, NIH funding for it, uh, got it approved by the FDA, doctors and nurses loved it, and then when it came time to market it, he found he couldn't sell it. Because of uh, cartels that, uh, purchasing cartels that uh, basically take kickbacks from dominant vendors to block new technologies from getting into hospitals. These are called hospital group purchasing organizations. And my first reaction is, whoa, I couldn't believe that something like this could happen in this country. Mm-hmm. And that's been the reaction of most people. That's, right. one, that's one reason that uh, you, most people never heard of this. Uh, that's the first hump that you have to get over and explain, how did this happen? And anyway, I started poking around and found many other companies that had come up with better, safer, cheaper devices uh, from minimally invasive uh, surgical devices and uh, trocars and uh, all kinds of stuff that were clearly better safer, more advanced devices than the incumbent devices made by uh, larger companies. And uh, so I did a story for Business Week called Locked Out of the Hospital. And the first story on 19 March of 98. Um, and uh, that sort of, that was the first story that addressed this issue, but it only focused on medical devices. Um, the drug shortage issue had not appeared on the radar screen yet. Um, but in fact, I learned that there are these huge cartels that are the gatekeepers, the market makers, the, uh, I call them the, the troll under the bridge. I like that. Uh, the billy goat gruffs have to pay a toll to the troll to their products in American hospitals. And I, I, I was just astounded that uh, in a market economy, something like this could be permitted. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, so shortly thereafter, I left Business Week for various personal reasons. Uh, and a year and a half later, uh, the CEO of the company that was Exhibit A, called Retractable Technologies, uh, asked me if I would take a sabbatical from journalism uh, to try to address this uh, anti-com- these anti-competitive practices and reform the system. And uh, I said, well, that's a piece of cake. Uh, spend a couple of years, year or two doing that and go back to what I was doing and writing about banking and finance and what have you. And um, uh, I agreed, and uh, I um, approached uh, a former colleague of mine from the Wall Street Journal, who was then a senior editor at business, at uh, a senior producer at 60 Minutes, and uh, he took an interest in this, and uh, I worked with him and Mike Wallace for nine months to produce a segment called Needles, did not specifically use the term GPO because there wasn't enough 
time in the broadcast, but it referred to long-term exclusive contracts. And uh, then this producer went over to the New York Times and launched a year-long series called Medicine's Middleman that expanded greatly on what I had written. I knew I had just barely scratched the surface. And they produced probably 30 articles documenting uh, this pay-to-play system, and, but mostly related to medical devices. And um, they documented, now GPOs were originally, I'll step back a moment. Sure. Organizations were originally founded right up the street from me here in Manhattan at Bellevue Hospital in 1910 as cooperatives. The idea was to buy a bunch of hospitals get together to buy supplies in bulk. Uh, and they save money. It's like Costco or Walmart or co-op, agricultural dairy co-ops. Mm-hmm. And it worked fine for 80 years. And uh, some hospital lobbyists came along and sold Congress a bill of goods that if the vendors pay the fees and and under the old arrangement, the um, the hospitals paid dues, which they gladly paid because they saved a lot of money by buying in bulk as opposed to one hospital buying uh, bandages. And uh, you know, they basically formed a hospital, Costco, Walmart, West Sam's Club, hmm. or Harvard Co-op, or however you want to describe it. It was nonprofit. Um, co-op and uh, worked fine for 80 years. Uh, and then instead of under uh, these lobbyists uh, sold Congress a bill of goods that if um, the vendors paid the fees, that somehow hospitals would save more money. Uh, the other justification for it was that uh, vendors were already paying kickbacks to the GPOs. So why not make it uh, consistent? I kid you not. <laughs> wow. So there was illegal kickbacks going on, and they wanted to basically legalize those. Yeah. Uh, this is all documented. Um, so Congress enacts this perverse legislation called the Medicare 1987 Medicare Anti-Kickback Safe Harbor for Group Purchasing Organizations that exempted these kickbacks from criminal prosecution for taking uh, from vendors under the, the anti-kickback statutes, which had been enacted in 1972, were good policy. They, they were, you go to jail for taking a kickback. End of story. So basically, Congress awarded these guys a get-out-of-jail-free card. Um, one of my recent uh, connections is referred to it as a government-sponsored criminal enterprise. Wow. Um, and in 1991, this is all administered by the Health and Human Services Inspector General. Uh, 1991, they come out with the rules, and uh, the rule was that if... Uh, these administrative fees, also known as kickbacks, were exceeded 3%, they were supposed to report them to the hospitals. 
So, and then the, the GPOs would see, receive revenue as a percentage of the total contract volume. So, which is number of units times price. So guess what? Higher prices translate into more revenue for the GPO. So instead of saving money, the incentive there was to raise prices for all supplies going through hospitals and now nursing homes, and outpatient clinics, and what have you. And keep in mind that supplies, stuff, drugs, band-aids, wheelchairs, uh, all this stuff is the second largest component of hospital costs after salaries. And um, so under this scheme, uh, if the administrative fees were to exceed 3%, they're supposed to report them to the hospitals, the excess fees. So what happens? They invent other types of fees. They do a semantic end run around these rules. You got marketing fees, conversion fees, which is when a hospital wants to convert from one type of product to another under one of these contracts. So uh, you got uh, all kinds of fees. You got a fee to sit next to a GPO executive at a dinner. Uh, you, and then they didn't account for the fact that uh, in addition to the fees, the GPOs demand re rebates, which are nothing more than a fancy name, a different name for kickbacks. So that the total all-in fees... Uh, have amounted to, and we have documentation on this, which comes to me sometimes in a plain brown envelope with no return address, have exceeded 56.5 of the total revenue for a single drug. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And you would have thought, and maybe when they wrote the rules, somebody thought, well, gee, if the hospitals are told that the fees exceed 3%, that that would be of some concern. So what did the GPOs do? They cut the CEOs of the hospitals in on the action. Wow. They get, a, they get a, what's called a share back as a piece of the kickback. So they call it a share back. Well, share back. Now, these are hospitals, CEOs of hospitals that are quote-unquote shareholder member hospitals. There's two types of hospitals. There's shareholders, and they basically profit off of the contracts, the sales with the rank and file hospitals. And a piece of this, probably in not every hospital, but it's, we have it documented, and I pointed this out in a Wall Street Journal op-ed in May 8, 2018, that uh, uh, that shareholders or CEOs of shareholder hospitals get uh, uh, these sharebacks that they count on as part of their annual compensation. So the whole incentive structure is one that is aimed at inflating prices, not reducing them, as it was under the old 80-year-old co-op model. Um, and... Uh, then 
in the mid-90s, the uh, Justice Department Antitrust Division eased the rules on consolidation of group purchasing organizations. So you had this, these mergers into what are now four giant cartels, uh, one called Vizient, um, the other Premier, which is publicly held, PINC, Health Trust, and Intolair. Intolair. Uh, these are the four companies, the for-profit companies that decide what products get used in American uh, healthcare institutions. And then they work to keep competition out too, as far as who they buy from. Is that correct? Yeah, because what they do, and they've said this themselves. That's that's the unbelievable part of it. We sell market share. That's what they do. They sell market share in the form of sole source contracts. So the more market share that a company buys, the bigger kickbacks it pays. That's incredible because this is something, um, you know, I was ignorant about. And I think we talked, you know, you, you were bringing up most people have no idea. Why do you think the media hasn't gone after these folks? And do you think it's because there's four or five or six companies that own just about all of the mainstream or corporate media? Well, uh, that's, that's a whole, that's a different discussion about the decline of the American media since I got into it in the post-Woodward and Bernstein era, the golden age of the media, where uh, media organizations, newspapers, encourage reporters to run out and get great stories and win prizes and do good things. Uh, the media has become corporatized. Uh, and then with the internet, the financial crisis, uh, People, the media just regurgitate each other's stories. The New York Times series, Medicine's Middlemen, it's on our website, by the way, physiciansagainstdrugshortages.com. You can read you know, all the documentation I've collected over 30 years about this. And uh, uh, they don't, they don't have the, first of all, they don't have the time hmm. with the internet You've got fewer reporters because of layoffs after the financial crisis and because of the internet and the loss of print advertising. You've got fewer recorder, reporters who are now forced to cover stories intraday. Um, you can't just write a story, put it to bed, move on to the next one. Paper comes out the next day, that's the end of it. Now, today, You've got to follow that story and update it in the course of the day. So media resources are very limited financially, time-wise, in every respect. And um, there is just not a whole lot of what we used to call investigative reporting coming out. And I've, there was a, a GAO drug shortage report back in... February 2010, uh, February 10th, 2014, it was mandated by Congress, and it identified GPOs as one of three underlying causes, potential underlying causes of the drug shortages. 
uh, all the other alleged causes, manufacturing problems, and, uh, raw material shortages, uh, hurricanes, is as well dismissed as uh, secondary or intermediate causes. I haven't talked to a single reporter who's covering this who ever read the report. <laughs> Nobody reads anything. That's true. That is one of the issues, and I think it's a great point, the intraday stuff that we're tied into now. It's the click cycle where you know people are clicking on something and reading the headline, and then they're moving on to the next thing. And this sounds like this goes very deep back into history and also that it has to do with the laws that have been passed, especially the 1987 Safe Harbor Law. Now, you guys are working, are you still working to get that um, repealed or replaced? Yeah, there, there are some encouraging signs. Uh, I mean, we're the only organization that's been out there challenging the conventional, the false narrative spread by the group purchasing industry that the causes are complex and multifactorial and that there's no single solution. In other words, like, this is one of the great unsolved mysteries of the universe. It's not. It's all about the money. And these reporters, and I'm talking about major media organizations, uh, they quote people that are actually in the serious conflicts of interests uh, saying that, oh, it's complex and multifactorial. There's this, there's that. Uh, it's simply not true. Uh, there is a cause. There is a solution. Now, with the GPOs, what do they mainly do for the end consumer? Like for somebody who's consumed healthcare like I have for 30 years, you know, what does that do to the individual person? What the, the work that GPOs are doing in the background that we never see? It means that uh, from the drug side, that if you go into a hospital, uh, if you are, have an operation, uh, you may not get uh, propofol, which is the major drug that's uh, used to put patients to sleep. You may get some third-tier drug that causes you uh, severe side effects and might cause you to stay two more weeks in the hospital. Uh, you might get a drug that causes you to wake up in the middle of the operation. Um, that was always one of my biggest fears. I've had 20 surgeries, and every time they put me to sleep, I tried to hold on as long as possible before I went under. So that's a, that's a huge fear for people who uh, who have surgery, definitely. Well, uh, on that note, if I may share a personal note, I had prostate cancer, and I went for a robotic uh, prostate cancer operation up at Mount Sinai in uh, January 2014. And I'm sitting there... Uh, on the operating table, and the anesthesiologist comes in, and he tells me what's going to happen, and he asks me, do you have any questions? He said, I said, yeah, I got questions. Do you have enough propofol to get me through this operation? And he looks at me, his eyes bulging. How do you know about that? So I thought, well, I've been looking into this. Uh, yeah, so, it, does have, it does have real consequences. How is your health now? Yeah, oh, I'm sure. That's great. That's good to hear. <laughs> Definitely. But that is something that people don't understand about is drug shortages. I wasn't aware of those. 
before I started digging into your work about how I remember when um, there was a saline shortage in, in the country. It still is. We're importing salt water, sterile salt water <laughs> wow. from uh, seven countries. I kid you not, uh, the GPOs have uh, tried to push this off, have, to, have tried to blame this on Hurricane Maria. I remember that. Okay. But this shortage has been going on for years before that because of sole source contracts. They make their money off of sole source contracts. And Baxter, uh, they don't disclose the details of these contracts, but sometimes a company will announce with a great fanfare, oh, I, I, we were awarded a sole source contract from uh, Vizient, formerly Novation, uh, for our RV solution, Baxter announced uh, such a sole source contract, and they also have uh, exclusive contracts from the other big GPO, Premier, which is publicly held. And um, so then Hurricane Maria hits. Um, it damages Baxter's facilities in Puerto Rico. So what happens? The shortages that were already going on are exacerbated because they're the only ones, one of the few making this stuff because other potential competitors have been locked out of the market. So what happens? Uh, we have to import sterile saline from even more countries. We're importing like, you know, coals to Newcastle. Um, and, uh, so they blame uh, Hurricane Maria. Hurricane Maria gets a bad rap for this. They did a lot of damage. Hurricane Maria did a lot of damage in Puerto Rico. We know that. But they're not responsible. <laughs> the hurricane's not responsible for uh, causing the drug shortages in the first place. And sole source contracts. And, and those sole contracts, they, sole source contracts are what kills competition. That keeps other players out of the market. Right. If you get a... If you don't get an exclusive contract, sole source or at least dual source, you might as well fold the tent. Uh, you can't make any money. You can't achieve economies of scale. Uh, and if the GPOs were just open, free market competition, they wouldn't be awarding exclusive contracts. But they don't make money unless they award exclusive contracts because they sell market, they're in the business of selling market share. Uh, I'll give you a, uh, so I was interviewed a few years ago on NBC in New York. Uh, the piece started off with an ambulance uh, uh, in uh, New York EMS squad saying they don't have epinephrine. Somebody collapses on the sidewalk. Uh, there's no epinephrine on in the, in the, um, uh, on the truck. Uh, hundreds of drugs, chemo drugs, chemotherapy drugs for colon cancer, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, leukemia are in short supply. So what happens, we start importing drugs from these other countries and uh, all that does is create shortages worldwide. Uh, I get emails every day from English language publications from all over the world about shortages of the same drugs in 
the UK, Australia, Canada. Canada has a serious problem. Um, and the government knows all about this. Uh, forget if you live in Tunisia or Zimbabwe, you can just forget about getting drugs. They are out of drugs. No drugs. That's, that's incredible, too. And we've talked about, uh, we've had Dr. Leah Houston on, and we've also had Dr. Marilyn Singleton on, and they were both talking about how the more government gets involved in healthcare, the more it becomes healthcare rationing instead of just delivering healthcare between provider and patient. And it seems like that the third party payers help to obfuscate the, the true pricing out there and allows for uh, the GPOs to hide behind layers of bureaucracy that the patient, the consumer who's actually paying, never sees. Yep. Um, this is, uh, I, the GPOs have blocked all, are very politically powerful. Mm. Uh, they have blocked all attempts to get CMS, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, HHS to do a thorough study of uh, the impact of the safe harbor on hospital supply costs. And uh, but I went through all of my uh, documents, uh, all of my all the articles where people, hospitals, honest hospitals were quoted as saying, that they could get a better deal on this one thing or another, garbage bags, if they if they went around the GPOs. Uh, and I came up with an estimate of a saving of about 30%, at least 30%. And people have accused this me of being on too much on too conservative if the safe harbor were eliminated and we just had a free open market competition like we had before. Um, and if you count the PBM kickbacks, which are also enabled by the GPO safe harbor. Is that the, the pharmacy benefit managers? managers? If you include that, the total cost, additional cost to our healthcare system is, again, on the conservative side, about $230 billion that's billion with a B a year. Wow. That's huge. Competition really works. <laughs> right. I mean, I have looked at this from every angle conceivable, at least that I can think of. I've talked to people who have prosecuted kickback schemes. Uh, one famous one in Oklahoma, where uh, it was called the county commissioner scandal, late 70s, early 80s, where County commissioners were getting kickbacks for awarding sole source contracts for asphalt and road building material. Uh, the U.S. attorney, the same guy that got me interested in this in the first place, told me that when these people started going to jail and this whole kickback scheme were eliminated, the, the, the cost of asphalt and road building materials dropped as much as 40%. I've talked to people involved in uh, the New York uh, Construction Industry uh, Task Force on Construction and uh, Organized Crime in the construction industry. Same same number. So there's a number somewhere between 30 and 40 percent, maybe even higher, that seems to be in the ballpark of the additional cost that kickbacks 
uh, added, add to the cost of stuff. And, and that uh, includes drugs, right? And the GPOs and the pharmacy benefit managers, uh, the GPOs, are they mainly with the hospital portion of it, of the healthcare field? And then the ben pharmacy benefit managers are more on the retail side? Yeah. Uh, but the interesting thing is, and for all the years I've been studying this, uh, I just discovered a couple of years ago through a source that, um, that the Health and Human Services Inspector, Office of Inspector General, which supposedly oversees the GPO industry, uh, very poorly, I should add, um, there's no real disclosure, transparency, oversight, or anything. It's like a rogue purchasing department without any controls or oversight at all, a $300 billion industry and just totally run amok. And uh, in 2003, and this is, again, I'll never tell you anything that I can't document. The HHS Inspector General issued a, a compliance advisory to drug makers saying that they could, by invoking the GPO safe harbor, protect the uh, rebates that they pay to PBMs to get a special place on their formularies. So what does that do? It gives rise to this whole upward spiral, never-ending spiral, whereby the PBMs demand higher and higher kickbacks from the drug makers to get exclusive uh, treatment on the PBM formularies. So what do the drug makers do? Uh, they offset that by raising the list prices. Now, the drug makers are not Boy Scouts. We know that. <laughs> they do make some, uh, which I can't say that for PBMs or GPOs. Uh, so basically, these middlemen PBMs and GPOs are just raking money off of this whole system, and people are getting very rich on this, uh, who shouldn't be. Before, GPOs and PBMs were just transactors. They were, you know, they had linoleum floors. They, uh, uh, but today, they, they're making all the money. And so our group, our goal is to repeal this insidious safe harbor. Unfortunately, in Washington, uh, you have a, a lot, these lobbies grow up around these, uh, uh, this, cut, this type of corruption as like a cancerous tumor. And to protect it, uh, many members of Congress are getting uh, campaign contributions from Express Scripts and Premier. Uh, and all these, the GPO industry and their surrogates. And uh, it's been a real battle. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned, uh, just recently, Secretary Azar has taken a step in the right direction. He's proposed on January 31st, he proposed rescinding the kickbacks for pharmacy benefit managers administratively for but for just Medicare and Medicaid programs, not for all programs. 
They don't have jurisdiction to do that. He called on Congress to expand this and end the, the, the kickbacks, the rebates, same thing um, for all programs. Now, the question becomes now whether, and last week, Senator Mark, uh, Mike, Mike Braun of Indiana introduced a bill. I haven't seen the full text of it yet. It hasn't been published. Uh, but which would end the kickbacks paid by the drug makers to the um, uh, PBMs. And uh, the question now becomes whether that would be accomplished by repealing the safe harbor for the GPOs and the PBMs, or whether they will avoid touching the GPOs and just uh, stop the kickbacks for the PBMs, which is the most visible manifestation of this whole corrupt system, because individuals feel it uh, in the pockets. That's exactly right. And I think that's why a lot of people are unfortunately pushing for Medicare for all, or I saw that Senate, which I do not support at all personally, but um, there was another proposal, I believe it was by Senator Warren, that she was talking about allowing or having the government actually produce generic drugs that are in shortages right now. And I was thinking, you know, that seems to be compounding the problem and not not going the right way. That's that's totally preposterous. The government is not supposed to be in the manufacturing business. Uh, what makes it even worse is that I met with her uh, healthcare legislative assistant in early 2013 and tried to explain this to her. I've made many attempts to get to her on this. She knows me. Uh, that's a whole other story that you don't have time for. Uh, we've sent her all kinds of stuff, uh, same with the Bernie Sanders. They don't want to listen. They know it all. So they propose things like importing drugs from Canada. Well, if you go on a website, canadadrugshortage.org, you'll see that they have an even more sh severe shortage than we do. And they get their drugs from the United States. The whole thing is preposterous. All we've been arguing is, let competition live, restore competition and integrity to the supply chain and drug shortages will go away. They don't want to hear that because this industry is so powerful. And uh, the idea, I've been quoted several places, how crazy it is to propose, uh, to propose uh, the government of the United States Health and Human Services to get into the drug manufacturing business. Yeah, that uh, is that is, and I didn't even know about that until I read it on your website, and then I clicked on the link to the proposal, and I was just shocked because I didn't hear about this in the news. I try not to listen to the news as much as possible, but that's something I thought would pop up on my radar, and I just I totally missed that. I, I couldn't believe. Uh, you, know, you you have. Uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, frankly, physicians are their own worst enemies. Um, the, the medical societies get grants from the GPO industry. American Society of Anesthesiologists has a, a, a deal with Premier on uh, involving um, some project. And 
They don't want to listen. Uh, instead, they produce uh, recommendations that they submit to the FDA. The FDA requested comment on um, uh, solutions to uh, root causes of drug shortages and enduring solutions. So the ASA and other so-called stakeholders, including the American Society of Clinical Oncologists, as well as the American Society of Health System Pharmacists and various other um, medical societies, 19 lists of 19 recommendations, okay? Um, none of which are even relevant. But the most ludicrous of the ones submitted by the ASA and this other group, the American Hospital Association, is also a big problem here because CEOs of many of their hospitals are getting a piece of the act. Uh, so they have a financial vested interest in keeping kickbacks. Um, anyway, anyway, so the most ludicrous of their recommendations was to create a stockpile of drugs in short supply. Okay. Now think about this for a second, which obviously they didn't do. Um, two questions that you know, any average high school kid would give them a little thought would uh, come to the same conclusion. Um, first of all, if there are no drugs, how do you create a stockpile? Um, secondly, if you create, try to create a stockpile, wouldn't that tend to exacerbate the shortage? You would think. <laughs> you would think. I mean, it's just completely ludicrous. Why not restore competition? And that's, um, that's something, too, that you had on your website. There was that little tutorial about GPOs. And you quoted Adam Smith. You quoted the wealth of nations and also the theory of moral sentiment. And we had an economics professor, Professor McCloskey, on, and um, she's got she's codified what she calls the bourgeois virtues. And these are the virtues that people who deal with equals, you know, through persuasion, not the use of government force, have to have in order to facilitate trade. And one, a couple of those were honesty and trustworthiness. And I think that's totally lacking within the system of the GPOs and also with the pharmacy benefit managers because they don't have to worry about reputation and dealing directly with customers. What, do you, what are your thoughts on the virtues that, that spawn from these type of systems and allows this corruption to continue? Well, um, I think back to the, the safe harbor. Uh, that's all clouded. How that all happened is clouded in secrecy. Uh, my guess is that it was this statute, uh, uh, 42 CFR 1001.952, uh, parens J, uh, uh, was enacted in the dead of night by a bunch of self-interested lobbyists with the, who knew that they were going to collect a lot of money by setting this up as a pay-to-play deal. Uh, you know, then you have the emergence of, uh, you have a lot of ideological uh, ways in the antitrust establishment, Federal Trade Commission, antitrust division uh, that enabled these cartels to consolidate. Uh, in fact, uh, a former chairman of the Federal Trade Commission, Jonathan Leibowitz, uh, 
presided over one of the most egregious anti-competitive mergers in history. And I used to cover M&A, did a lot of writing and study on this, uh, of Express Scripts and Medco, the number one and number two PBMs. Uh, against the advice of his former boss, Senator Herb Cole of the Antitrust Subcommittee. There was all kinds of opposition to this. It was completely unwarranted and uh, uh, anti-competitive. Uh, he also, uh, five United States senators, including Senator Cole, wrote him in a letter, which is on our website, in November 2011, asking for an investigation of anti-competitive GPO practices. He refused. Jonathan Leibowitz is now uh, later left uh, the uh, FTC, is now a partner at the white shoe law firm of Davis Polk. One of his clients is the Healthcare Supply Chain Association, which is a GPO trade group. Wow. That, okay. that, that seems to be a revolving door with regulators and the industry, and people blame a lot of times the free market on that, but my take is it's the regulations that they create to, to facilitate what they call regulatory capture, where these industry leaders, um, they're actually writing the legislation to allow them to use government force to limit our ability to buy on an open market. Well, let's see. That's certainly what's happened. This is the biggest kickback scheme in American history. Uh, because Congress authorized it, doesn't make it any less of a kickback scheme. Right. A kickback is a kickback. It has the same economic effect. And, uh, uh, you know, then on top of all this, you have the Citizens United decision, which equated uh, money with free speech. And we're off to the races. Uh, so we have a totally corrupt healthcare supply chain here. And um, nobody seems, uh, just recently, there are uh, efforts to try to address this. Because of the my work, and frankly, in 60 Minutes and New York Times, uh, the Senate Antitrust Subcommittee, under former Senators, uh, Herb Cole and Mike DeWine at the time, a moderate Republican and a liberal Democrat, held four hearings on GPO abuses of the Senate Antitrust Subcommittee. And uh, they drafted legislation that would have repealed the safe harbor. And if that had happened at the time, 2005, 2006, we wouldn't be having this uh, podcast. Wow. Um, it would have freed up competition in this in this marketplace. But the American Hospital Association, the GPO trade group, with the help of Senator Chuck Schumer, killed it. And so fast forward, like yourself, I didn't learn about drug shortages until I picked up the New York Times one morning, October 31st, 2011, and read an article on page one about Obama's order to the FDA to do something about drug shortages. Um, and uh, now I said to myself, there, there had been one article in the New York Times series that about how Premier, 
the publicly held second largest GPO, had set up its own captive generic drug supplier, which enabled uh, executives of Premier to get stock options in this drug company, which was called American Pharmaceutical Partners, for a $100 investment in 96 as a co-founder of this company, he turned it into uh, 42 or $44 million investment when it went public in late 2001. When Senator Cole heard about this, he went bonkers. He said, this is appalling. Uh, and he demanded at the first hearing that... Um, that uh, Premier divest its interest in this company, which was later acquired by a German company called Fresenius. The whole idea was to, was to uh, take control of the generic drug market. This was, in my view, the beginning of the whole deal. In any case, so Obama issues his executive order, and I'm reading about this, and I say, it took me about 10 minutes to think back to this 2002 New York Times piece, um, I knew as a following markets and knowing something about economics, writing about economics, we are simply, what is this drug shortage? We're not supposed to have drug shortages in a market economy, period, end of story. I tell people, I'm telling you right now, the only shortages I'm aware of are moon rocks and kryptonite. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And it, and you talk about that on your website, the invisible hand that Adam Smith uh, spoke about and wrote about. That when individuals pursue their own self-interest, they help everybody. That everybody benefits from that. And meanwhile, the uh, I'll tell you another story of how cancer drugs became in uh, short supply. Uh, there's a company called Bindenu Laboratories in um, Ohio, Bedford, Ohio. They made generic chemo, chemotherapy drugs. Um, they had been, there have been complaints about their uh, cleanliness, contamination at their plants, mold, particles and drugs and what have you. So the FDA goes in there and uh, they found a house of horrors. Uh, the inspection reports on our website. This is no secret. Um, and on page four of that uh, inspection report, they talk about the, they use chemical terms to describe urine. They find a 10-gallon bucket of urine outside the sterile production area. Uh, I'm saying to myself, what is this? And I was later informed by an expert and sterile drug production that the 10-gallon bucket was put there so that uh, production workers wouldn't have to degown, go to the bathroom, scrub back in, and regown. They could save maybe 20 minutes per visit to the, presumably, the men's room. I don't know, I don't know whether it was a unisex bucket or not. Uh, and so Bindanu shuts down. Uh, it was just a disaster. Uh, they were the company that were, was paying for market access 
upwards of more than half in a couple of cases, fees to what was then called Novation, it's now called Vizia, for exclusive access to Novation hospitals, okay? So they didn't have any money. There's nothing left for quality control, upgraded plant and equipment, so they keep trying to keep the old uh, production equipment going, uh, mixers and what have you. Uh, and finally, it just comes crashing down. The first thing that visible sign of that was we ran out of methotrexate, which is a drug used to treat childhood leukemia. Been around for years, something like 40, 50 years. Um, we had to start importing methotrexate from other countries, which created a shortage of methotrexate all over the world. Uh, people died because of this. That, that's the one thing, that people are dying because of this. It is a life and death issue, and you talked about that, that safety needle. Um, I'm not sure what, what you refer to it as, but it was that needle that prevented um, uh, accidental needle sticks. If I had thought to bring one to this podcast, I would have demonstrated to you. It retracts automatically into the syringe if you give an injection. And so the, the workers were exposed to a contaminated needle. Gotcha. And that's a huge issue because um, we had uh, Judge Gray on. He ran as the vice president in 2012 on the Libertarian ticket. And he wrote a book called How Our Drug, Lails, Drug Laws Have Failed Us and What We Can Do About It. And one of the shocking things within that book was that the AIDS crisis, the AIDS epidemic and hep C were largely due to contaminated needles being shared due to the uh, black market created by drug prohibition and not having access to clean needles, let alone a safe needle like, like you were talking about. Now, these are single use needles and Beckton Dickinson, uh, uh, Beckton Dickinson and the GPOs tried to keep retractables needles out of the marketplace. Retractables sued uh, and won a total of 150 million wow. in uh, settlements from Beckton Dickinson, Tyco, Premier, and what was then Novation, and um, were finally able to get some access. Uh, to the marketplace, but they have other techniques for uh, keeping um, companies like that out of the market. Uh, there's, um, you know, going back momentarily to the medical device side, uh, there's, um, this is the report of the first hearing before the Senate Antitrust Subcommittee on um, anti-competitive GPO practices. And on page 14, there's a story, uh, I think in Senator Cole's presentation, his uh, statement, opening statement, that because of GPO contracts, there's a patient lying about to be anesthetized on an operating table to have a pacemaker installed. And uh, then the doctor's informed that that pacemaker that he preferred for that patient is not under contract, under a GPO contract. So he had to take the patient off of the operating table and go to some other hospital to have the right pacemaker, pacemaker that he deemed appropriate for that patient. 
uh, implanted in that patient. This is how crazy this is. So unlike the PBMs, the people, uh, the, the, the GPOs uh, are able to be uh, more opaque about this. Um, so sick people don't jump out of their beds in, in the intensive care unit or nursing homes to go uh, go up to Congress in their, in their nightgowns uh, to uh, ask for repeal of the safe harbor. Um, this, is, this is a scandal of monumental proportions. It truly is. And, and you talk about a patient in a hospital bed. I've been there a bunch of times. And when you get your itemized, like you have to ask for an itemized bill from your hospital. And then you go through there and the cost... They don't, you don't even know what stuff costs anymore in medicine. And I think that's one of the huge issues. And this is on even the backside of that. So there, that's one hidden element that could be up to 30% of the cost of stuff that we're not even seeing. I mean, the hospitals are, are nothing more than cash machines. And people don't realize they're a trillion dollar industry as well. I didn't, I didn't realize that they're, they're absolutely enormous. And Many of these hospitals, most of them are nonprofits, quote unquote. That's another deal. Okay, these people, are, the hospital CEOs, are making double-digit millions of dollars in compensation, plus all these uh, fringes, like a piece of the uh, the sharebacks from GPOs. And uh, why are these hospitals permitted to continue their nonprofit? status under the IRS uh, laws. That's a great point about nonprofits too. I've always heard nonprofits are just a company who spend all the money that they make. So they, they're just spending it on salary or on buildings or on other stuff. And the, the doctors, meanwhile, uh, these hospital CEOs, uh, these guys, as soon as they went some compensation consultant decided that uh, advised them that they shouldn't call themselves administrators anymore. They should call themselves CEOs. Because if you're CEO, you're then uh, in the same ballpark with uh, Google and uh, Apple and IBM, Walmart and what have you. And, you. and so you get compensated as a CEO, not an administrator. So these guys are making fortunes off of this. Most of them are not, many of them, I don't know how, what percentage are doctors, but most of them are MBA types and uh, a former executive I'm acquainted with, former uh, in the healthcare insurance business once described to me, hospital CEOs is nothing more than uh, failed partners at third string accounting firms. And they are the bosses now. There's this master-servant relationship between the heads of the hospitals and um, uh, and the doctors. The doctors are just employees now. Uh, they are not all powerful. They're not powerful at all. They can be fired in a moment on a moment's notice. And in fact, a number of our members have been threatened with a wink and a nod by their superiors at some of these hospitals for speaking out about the role of GPOs in causing this fiasco. 
Wow, that that's chilling that you have that element where the freedom to talk about these very important issues by people who know the most about it. And that idea that these hospitals have so much control over not only um, the, the health care of the patient, but also how that health care is delivered by the doctor. That's a huge issue that I don't think most people think about. And unfortunately, there's a huge um, tendency to have an antagonistic relationship between doctors and patients now because we blame the doctors when in reality they're in the same boat as patients. I think for the most part doctors are trying to do uh, the right thing. Um, like any in, any profession, there are uh, bad apples to use a cliche, but uh, by and large most of them are, uh, are, well mo are properly motivated and try to uh, abide by the Hippocratic Oath and all that. But the, uh, with the CEOs of these hospitals, it's all about the money. It's all about uh, the revenue and the market share. And uh, any doctor that steps out of line, unless, he's a, unless he delivers a lot of revenue and is a superstar uh, supply, uh, revenue producer, um, you know, he can be out of a job. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think a lot of people aren't aware that hospitals actually – collude together to keep other hospitals out of their area, uh, their market area as well. They have these hospital boards where they have existing hospital um, administrators or CEOs on, and they get to vote if another hospital comes into a county or a city. Well, they, as you're probably aware, there's been a lot of hospital mergers, and uh, all the evidence shows that uh, these mergers actually raise prices. And the reason, main reason for the mergers is because you combine two hospitals, that means that the CEO of the hospital has a greater span of control, more people under him, more responsibility, uh, which means more compensation. It's all about compensation. It's all about the money. And, yeah. and when you talk about it's all about the money, within a market system, it'd still be all about the money, but at least there'd be other players within the system to compete to help lower costs and increase innovation. The incentive all the way from start to finish is all to drive prices higher. Uh, the insurance companies, the, the GPOs, the hospitals, uh, there is no uh, incentive to drive prices lower. And that's, that's a, a great point We're, uh, to wrap up on, I think, Phil. I think you had a lot of great information. Like, I wasn't aware of the GPOs. And I think a lot of people aren't. Where can they find out more about your work and what you guys are doing with Physicians Against Drug Shortages? Well, the best place is uh, our website. It's not the coolest website on the web. Uh, you know, I'm not a techie, but I built it myself. Uh, there's no search function, uh, so you have to just, uh, if you're interested, start with the uh, home page. And there's a media reports page. There's government documents. Uh, congressional hearing transcripts, um, all of that, but uh, that has more documentation on the corrupt practices of GPOs than any other place on the web that I'm aware of. Uh, I would have heard about it if there was something else, um, but it, it's it's all there. Also, the PBM connection, uh, the PBMs and the GPOs. Are, are joined at the hip on this deal. And uh, 
hopefully this initiative by Secretary Azar will, you know, eventually take away the uh, the GPO kickbacks and maybe this marketplace can return to uh, to normalcy. Um, That's great. I'll have that on uh, the website chronicallyhuman.co. I'll, I'll link your website to that as well to the show notes. Uh, is there anywhere on social media that people can follow you? Are you tweeting or are you on Facebook? Yeah, I tweet, uh, LinkedIn, um, Facebook. Uh, now, I, this is, I'm doing this pro bono. I've been doing it for seven years. Uh, there's just so much you can do. So our Facebook page uh, doesn't amount to a whole lot, but uh, we have a Twitter account. Um, LinkedIn, um, I'm there as a connect with me, Philip Swig, Go to our website. Uh, has many uh, op-eds, including uh, op-eds that I've done for the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Barron's, a whole bunch of places. Uh, uh, but you know, again, we have no budget. Uh, this is a complete pro bono operation. So. Uh, we're definitely uh, grateful for your work, you know, Phil, about getting the word out about this. Where, how do you see this going forward with with um, with the GPOs and pharmacy benefit managers? And what do you think individuals can do personally to help to change the system? Because we're all a, a victim of this to a certain extent. I'm glad you asked that. Um, they can call their members of Congress and demand that they repeal the Medicare anti-kickback safe harbor for GPOs and PBMs, restore competition and integrity to our supply chain, end the drug shortages, end the skyrocketing costs of drugs and healthcare supplies, uh, stop this craziness, stop this nonsense of importing salt water from Norway. Uh, it's nuts. You don't have to be a Nobel laureate in economics to get this. Any New York City construction worker uh, understands bribes and kickbacks. These are nothing more than legalized bribes. And uh, that's a great that's a great way to end it, Phil. That that's what this really is all about. It's bribes and kickbacks using the force of law to give it legitimacy. People can call Senator Grassley. Now, chairman of the Senate and the Senate Finance Committee, who has announced in it in his uh, health care agenda as chairman that he's going to address drug shortages, the anti-competitive concerns of supply chain middlemen and PBMs. That's a direct quote from his agenda, which I memorized, and the uh, anti-kickback statutes. Make him do it. Call Senator Alexander at the uh, chairman of the Senate Health Education uh, Committee, uh, Health Education, H-E-L-P uh, um, is uh, for short, uh, call their senators and demand that they end this kickback scheme. That's what they can do. They can get on the phone, they can buttonhole them, they can contact them when they come home for recess, there's a recess starting March 18th through the 22nd. There's a recess starting April 15th through the 26th. They can go to their office 
They can get angry. They need, people need to show outrage. And the solution to this from a mechanical legal standpoint is very simple. Just repeal this safe harbor. Restore competition. Competition works. Um, and the market will start to normalize. That's all we're trying to do. Exactly. And I think we all want the same thing. We want competition. We want the best drug or the, the best medical device at the lowest cost possible because of innovation, because of competition. Yep, definitely. Well, Phil, thank you for your time. And I urge everybody to check out physiciansagainstdrugshortages.com. Check out what they're doing and take Phil's advice to heart because we do still have the power in this country as the people and that we can make change if we use our voice together and work together in a, in a specific way to repeal the 1987 anti-kickback law and, and get some normalcy like, I'm sorry, what? anti-kickback safe harbor anti-kickback safe harbor gotcha Basically, what that will do is to restore criminal penalties to taking kickbacks and you that's go to jail for taking a kickback from a vendor that's all we're trying to do and that and that is something i think everybody no matter if you're on the left right libertarian or independent can agree upon well, people got to speak up yep. uh we can't do it ourselves people got to demand uh, action on this, whether yep. uh, emails, phone calls, uh, buttonholing uh, in, in the halls of Congress, uh, going to talk to their, uh, their members of Congress and senators uh, when they come home from the district, go to their town hall meetings and uh, demand that the kickbacks come to an end. That's, that's awesome, Phil, and I appreciate your work. I Appreciate you being on the show, and that's excellent advice for everybody. Take Phil's advice to heart. Check out chronicallyhuman.co. We'll have all the show notes there and list all the, the different things that Phil talked about to make this change because it, it is a matter of not only dollars, it's a matter of life and death. Thanks, everybody, for watching, and we will see you next time. Thank you. Thanks,